a beautiful day. It was a beautiful drive-in. Um, the problem, when you do a, a book study and you do expository style and you go through it week by week and you're reading ahead of time, the Lord has a way of making sure that I know that it's truth. So this week was sort of interesting for Cindy and I. First of all, um, I've had some physical issues lately, and um, they have just been a booger. And um, so uh, physical things sometimes can make you have a stinking attitude. Yeah? The other thing is we had a big challenge come up with us on Tuesday, and we were pretty unhappy. And as you guys know, we serve 180 people, and part of the reason they hired and believed in us is because of our faith and who we are. But we were struggling. So that morning when we had to go out on the floor and encourage people, the week has been very interesting. So this truth had to unfold in me because we had these personal things that we were dealing with. And then I met with a woman who comes crying in my office because she's seen a little bit of her husband disappear every day in his memory. Then I had a man in the middle of our dinner, suddenly his abdomen swelled up in so much pain, and you could see it was going horribly wrong, and his best friend next to him, and, and holding him and, until the ambulances and, and getting him away from, from the middle of the dining room, make sure he's cared for, and the fear that was in his mind, and, and somehow, or a woman who's struggling with her breathing so much that she's in pain and fearful, and in those things, just the, they came at us every different way. And even though we had a day, we had to practice this. We had to practice this happiness, this, this thing that we're going to talk about a little bit today. And just to kind of let you know where we frame this from, where I get a lot of my notes from. First of all, I'm a big fan of Weathersby commentary. I use Logos. Tom Holliday had an expository notes that I used, and Rick Warren. And for me, it, it, you'll see why this hit me so heavily this week. So we're going to be in Philippians. Again, we're going to be in Philippians 1, 12 through 30. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, where we were looking at happiness in relationships and what Paul unfolded there. Today, we're going to be looking at happiness in no matter what happens, no matter what happens. And the common mistake that I have seen people make about happiness is when and then thinking. When this happens, or then this happens, then I can be happy. And even some of the things, like we've got a 90-year-old who hasn't seen their great or grandchildren or their kids for months, and they've called and said, we're going to be there in a week. And then they change their plans and you see her devastated. And it's that when and then thinking like, hey, I'll be happy when I get this money or I get this bill paid off or I have these finances or if I physically feel better, then I can be happy. And when we look at what Paul's dealing with here, this, the truth in this passage you're going to see is we have to choose to be this way as believers. But there are barriers. There are four common barriers, and, and I kind of like to look at them as the killjoys. These are the things that can really kill joy at times. 
One is pain. Pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain, and I just see this, and I see physically when we're feeling lousy, it has a way of killing joy, or if we are uh, going through difficult times with, with mental things or the things that we have, it can just be a joy killer. The other thing, and I know you guys never have this problem, but people can kill your joy. They can irritate you, they can demand of you, they can be uncooperative, and this is the one that can push my button and kill my joy. They can be arrogant. The other thing that can really kill joy is pressure. Whether it's internal pressure, you're wrestling with things all the time, you're overthinking things, and it's, or you have these external pressures of the job and all of those things, it can really kill your joy. And then problems. All sorts of problems. You know, those things just can do it. But as we look at Philippians 1 through 12, I want you to realize Paul had all four of these going into this. He's writing from a Roman prison. And the one thing, if you walk away with one thing today, I want you to walk away with verse 27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. So if you can open up with me in your Bibles, we will be in Philippians 1, 12 through 30. And for me to frame this for you, I want you to look at Paul's life in the last four years. He spent two years in uh, incarceration over false charges. Then he was shipwrecked while sailing to Rome for another trial. Then he was stranded on a desert island and he was bitten by a snake. Now he's imprisoned again for two years with 24-hour guard chained to him. He had every reason to be unhappy, depressed, bitter, but instead he wrote the most positive thing that encourages people so powerfully. So if you can open up with me, we'll be at verse 12. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that's you and me, that everything has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, know that I am changed because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. Now some are sharing Christ out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They love me, and they know that the Lord brought me here to defend the good news. But there are those who do not have pure motive as they preach about Christ, and they preach with selfish ambition and not sincerity, intending to make my time in prison more painful to me. But whether or not their motives are pure, the fact remains that the message about Christ is being preached. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice no matter what. For I know that as you pray for me, and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will turn out for my deliverance. And I live in eager expectation and hope. I want my life to always honor Christ, whether I live or die. For me, 
Living is for Christ. And dying is even better. If I live, it just means more fruitful service for Christ. But I am often torn between the two desires. Sometimes I want to live, and sometimes I long to go on and be with Christ in heaven. That would be far better for me. But it's better for you if I live. So that you can grow and experience the joy of your faith. But whatever happens, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. It will be a sign to them and of their downfall that God is with you. And that He will save you. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for Christ in the past, and you know that I am still in the middle of a great struggle. That's the New Living Translation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and as we dig a little deeper, Father, <laughs> Lord, no matter whether we walk with physical, financial problems, internal, external tr struggles, Father, pierce our hearts in such a way that we know that our joy is wrapped in our faith with you. All of us said together. Amen. So you can kind of see why Marshall got punched right between the eyes this week. So as I open up, no matter what happens in our life, number one, you look at every problem from God's viewpoint. You look at every problem from God's viewpoint. We will get frustrated. We will get unhappy when we don't look at what God does. The truth, God is working out a plan for our lives. And Paul knew this. When you look at verse 12, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything, everything has happened to me and has helped spread the gospel. Now, what's amazing to me in Paul, in, in we, he dreamed. He dreamed about sharing for Christ. And in the center of this idea, he wanted to go to Rome. And I jokingly say he wanted to go to Rome to be at the Colosseum. He wanted to do the harvest crusade of Christianity of the age. But instead, he was made a royal prisoner under Nero. A royal prisoner. As a royal prisoner, he had an opportunity to share to many key people. This wasn't his plan. This wasn't what he thought would make him happy. He was chained 24 hours a day to a royal guard. This is the elite. This is the hand-picked crew. And they switch guard according to history every four hours and rechain to him. That meant in his 22 years, he was chained 4,200 times to different guards. Captive audience. Who was the real prisoner here? He had his Colosseum. Not the way he expected. So two results happened. If you look at history, some of Nero's family actually were impacted by Christianity as he had spread it. There was this chain reaction. And as you look at the New Testament, this is what I love. He was chained in, the, in this thing, and this is where much of his, the New Testament was written. Now think about it. Think about it. Think about the problem you're facing right now. 
Think about it, just for a minute. Maybe just for a minute we bow our head. We just ask God, help me to see your perspective, what I'm going through. Help me to see it, God. The physical, the financial, the inner turmoil. Help me to see how you're going to use this, God. Help me to see the problem through the eyes of faith, Father. Your name, amen. The other thing you see that Paul made in these problems, it was a witness to unbelievers. It was a witness to unbelievers. For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard in verse 13, know that I'm in chains because of Christ. It was an encouragement to people to see how he handled that. And for me, when Cindy and I walk out on that floor and we deal with that people, I so much want them to see the joy, not the frustration or the physical pain. I want them to see my faith. The other thing we see in verse 14, it was an encouragement to believers. And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians who have gained confidence have become more bold in telling the truth about Christ. Man, wouldn't that be an incredible joy in our lives that we are an encouragement to believers to be stronger? Because we're depending on our faith. We're being able to do that. So I want, I can be happy no matter what, number two, if I do not let others control my attitude. If I don't let others. While in prison, he met some people. And you see in this scripture as it unfolds, his ministry was attacked. It was slandered. It was, it was judged. It was criticized. Paul was those things. And you want to take me out and steal my joy? Criticize me. And I look at how he did this. The other thing that he had, he had friends that actually supported him in this. He had accountability. He had people that supported him. And he, there was this competing. There were people kicking him while he was down. And then there was the, uh, the, the undermined, the people who wanted to see him destroyed. But in this, in this, Paul describes these, these people four ways. Three of them are killjoys. They were the critics, the comrades, the good ones, the competitors, and the conspirers. These are people that wanted to kill his joy. If you look at the original word, eris, love to uh, argue, people who love conflict, who love enjoying and creating controversy, don't want to be decisive in this. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever watched TV, some of the TV preachers, and see them criticize and want to be decisive? Have you ever read bloggers' reports where they seem like all they want to do is be negative on these things? Critics' motives, people who are going to attack and want to rob your joy, there's usually one motive and one motive only. It's jealousy. It's jealousy. And Paul understood this. And he was more concerned about his impact, about Jesus Christ and real joy, than people's jealousy. Few things can cause you to lose 
your happiness faster than criticism. And um, I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to criticize people and steal their happiness. So here is a happiness hint for you. I don't need others' approval or permission to be happy. You don't need it. This, in his word, is we're able to do this. I love in verse 16, others preach from genuine goodwill. They do so out of love, and they know God's given me the work to defending the gospel, the comrades. Comrades. Lucas, that's you, man. We're your comrade. We see God has set you to be able to give the good news to others. Verse 17, they're the competitors. Others preach Christ insincerely from, uh, from a spirit of selfish ambition. They're ego-driven. And sometimes to feed their ego, guess what they got to do? Put others down. And we let it steal our joy. Verse 17b, the conspirators. And the other want to stir up more trouble for me and add to my pain while I'm in prison. What do you guys think the biggest tool is? And it, it's interesting. Sometimes we take one sin and we blow it up in Christianity so big, but this sin is mentioned more than anything else. What do you think the biggest way that people try to rob your joy when they're conspirator? What do you think the tool is that they use? Gossip. Gossip. Be in a facility of 180 seniors. Well, wait a minute. I've seen it in church many a times too. So let's not throw that too far, guys. It's, it, you know, it, you can just see how it can, and we cannot let it destroy us. So let's take a look at Paul's attitude in all of this. Verse 18. What others do doesn't really matter. The important thing is that in everywhere, whether it's right or for the wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared. So I am happy. I am happy. And I will continue to be happy. Don't let it steal your joy. You know, sometimes when people, the more blessed you are, sometimes come out of how more fearless you are. And when people see that you're fearless in this fact that you're depending on Christ and the message of Christ being the thing, you will find out more people will be blessed. The other thing that you see in verse 28, be fearless no matter who opposes you. It will be a sign to them of their downfall and that God is with you and that he will save you. Remember Matthew 5? Blessed are those who are when they are what? Paul explains you can be happy no matter what. No matter what. So I, I can be happy if I look at everything I'm dealing with from God's viewpoint. I pull myself out from that. And that's not an easy thing to do. Number two... Um, Never let what others say or do control your attitude. And number three, which comes out of verse 19 and 20, always trust God to work things out. 
the faith factor. You can worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. Philippians 1.19, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that has happened will all turn out for my deliverance. Wow. This is a guy in prison, chained to people 24, who's had a snipe bite, been dumped a couple times, been on a shipwreck, and he believes this. And in this, in this, in these guards, they're saying the largest spurge of Christianity happened. They said within a short period of time, two million people came to know Christ. Boom. He believed it. Man. Even when my kid is sassy, huh? Paul gives us four resources and strength. I know God's perspective for my problem. He says, I know I have people praying for me. He says, I know I have the Holy Spirit helping me. And I have the faith that God will work it out for the good. Therefore, those four things, therefore I choose to be happy. Trusting in God will give you the hope and the courage and the happiness Verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that I with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in body, whether by life or by death. Wow. God's perspective, people praying for me, knowing the Holy Spirit is helping me, and that I have faith that God will work it all out for the good. Number four, I will be happy no matter what if I stay focused on my purpose, not the problems that surround me. Not the problem. Now picture this. Paul is old, which gives me some confidence. <laughs> He's in prison. He's awaiting death by execution. They're taking away everything he has, his freedom, his friends, even his privacy. He has not one private moment. But they couldn't take away his purpose. They couldn't take away his purpose. 22 through 25. If by continuing to live I can do more worthwhile and work for Christ then I am sure which I should choose. I am pulled in two directions but I want very much to leave this life and be with Christ which is far better thing. But for your sake, it is much more important that I remain alive. And I am sure of this. I know that I will stay on with you all so I can add to your progress and joy in faith. Paul's purpose was not just uh, living or for dying. His purpose was to serve God by serving others. It was to serve God by serving others. It was just not living this life. And he says, and after I die, then my purpose is to be with God. So, Paul says, I stay alive just for the sake of others. But selfishly, it's better for me to be in heaven. I won't have any more pain or problems or pressures. I don't have to deal with picky people. 
But don't miss this. Don't miss this message that Paul. Happiness does not come from self-gratification. It does not. It comes from self-sacrifice. It comes from self-sacrifice. Paul sums it up, and this is the verse. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, you guys got your notes there, right? I want you to fill in that blank at the very bottom. For me to live is what right now for you? Is it entertainment? Is it money? Is it sports? Is it friends? Is it your family? For me, how would you fill in that blank right now in your heart? How will you determine your happiness? And for me, I, you know, I, I want to be perfectly honest. I wish i say, man, I had this completely wired this week. And man, isn't it funny when you study God's word, how he like, more so I'm going to sh- see if this really sticks to you. I will tell you, Cindy and I had a very joyful prayer time last week because we practiced this. We didn't let Tuesday rob us. And uh, I, I, it's just so amazing how true his word is. Will you bow your heads with me? <sighs> Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you how you worked in Paul's life, the impact you had through soldiers and through people who saw his faith. You know that I often let circumstances determine my happiness, Father, and and I often allow the killjoys of pain and problems and pressures and picky people to rob me from it. But Lord, every one of us today, Father, every one of us today want to practice the secrets that you've outlined in the world that Paul modeled to us, Father. Help us to witness to non-believers, encourage believers. Help me to remember what to say to others, and don't let my happiness be stolen by words, Father. We want to trust in you, Father, we, to work it all out for your good, Father. Help us to stay focused on your purpose for our lives, Father, not our problems. I want to use the rest of my life, and Lord, I want everyone here to use the rest of their life for eternity. From this day on, For each of us, for me to live will be Christ. In your name, amen. For me to live is Christ. Will you stand and worship together?